cold, cold night So long ago The skies rolled back What a sight to behold When an angel appeared To the shepherds and spoke Glory Thank you, Franco. Uh, about Psalm 23, William Nichol in the Expositor's Bible wrote, he said, the world could spare many a large book better than this sunny little psalm. It has dried many tears and supplied the mold into which many hearts have poured their peaceful faith. Well, I think that's pretty good <laughs> way he said that. And it's very true. The psalm itself has 122 words. That's it. And yet it tells the whole story of God's love for us and what he's done for us. It's about our shepherd, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. And if this psalm was the only thing we knew, it would enable us to live the abundant life that our shepherd promised us in John 10. So today, out of those 122 words, I'm only going to look at 16, but it, it's it's really a blessing. And I think it just addresses so many needs that we have in life as we go through and walk with God. And that's Psalm 23, 3 says, He, talking about Yahweh, our shepherd, your shepherd, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So that's what I want to take a look at today. And we saw that our shepherd takes incredibly good care of us. He's always attentive to us and he watches over us. He's ready to help us out whenever we need it. And sometimes we do need that help. And like sheep, we sometimes do get in trouble. I think we, we saw that there's many, many ways that a sheep can get into trouble, seemingly without number. But one of the ways that's really rather pathetic is called a cast down sheep. And what that is, is that sometimes a sheep gets turned over onto his back. And like a turtle, they have this in common. Once they're turned over on their back, they cannot get up by themselves. They're just stuck there. And for a sheep, what happens is that gas begins to build up in the rumen, and it starts to cut off the circulation in their extremities. It will be fatal if, if the shepherd doesn't take, uh, take steps to correct it. Um, they will die of a heart attack. And in addition, it might take a few hours to do that. And during that time, they're, of course, very vulnerable, easy prey. A shepherd sometimes would go out in the morning, and if he would see vultures circling overhead, he would think, oh, my gosh, there's one of my sheep might be uh, cast down, and they're just waiting for him to die. So he would run out and uh, save the poor little thing. But the bottom line is the only way that sheep that's cast down, turned over onto his back, will survive is because his shepherd will come along and turn him over. In Psalm 42, uh, we'll get back to Psalm 23 here in a second, but in Psalm 42 and in verse 11, it says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Well, surely you'd think that someone that's in the care of the best shepherd that ever existed would uh, never have any problems, but we do. Uh, that's just, that's our life, and we will until he comes back. But when we do get cast down, we know that 
he will help us. In in Galatians, it says that we can be overtaken in a fault, and and there's we can face intense pressure, problems in life, different things come up, financial relationships, jobs, just many many things. And sometimes we just get overwhelmed, and we have to be very careful because once you become overwhelmed, it's very easy to focus on the situation and to try. Uh, by yourself to come up with some kind of plan or way to get out of it. But when David said this, why are you cast down, my soul? And by the way, I think he had every right to feel a little a little uneasy there because remember, he was being chased by the king Saul, the, the man whom he loved, as well as his own son who were tr- trying to chase him down and kill him. So yeah, I could see how he could get bummed out every now and then. But And he would express that. He said, why are you cast down, O my soul? But immediately the very next thought was, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my conscience and my God. See, he he realized he was in trouble, but he didn't try to come up with his own plan, his own way to get out of it. He immediately went to God and said, hope thou in God, for I will praise him. So he didn't just wallow around on his back. He knew that God would turn him upright, his shepherd. So it, it is that God, uh, God will come to our rescue. He's the shepherd that will turn us over. And he's the health of our countenance. It's God is the health of our countenance, not our own plans, not our own schemes and, and so forth. And by the way, this word God, he said, my God, that's the word Elohim. Hebrew was first written with pictograms. And this word God was a combination of two pictograms, an ox head and a shepherd's staff. The ox head represented power and the staff represented authority. So to to David, God held the authority of a shepherd. He was his shepherd and God could turn any problem around, no matter what it is. So no matter what problem you run into, and I don't think many of us has had two people chasing us all over the country trying to kill us. We've not had that kind of problem. And and yet, and David wasn't even born again. He didn't have Christ in him. And yet he was able to go to his shepherd and know that it was his shepherd that would help him out no matter what happens. In Psalm 23, 3, he expressed that very, that very truth. When Psalm 23, he restoreth my soul. Now, when you get cast down, your life is in danger. Uh, is you, you can die within a matter of hours, that sheep. And we can face terrible situations, but we always can know that our God, our shepherd, Jesus Christ, will uh, be able to restore our soul. And that word soul, by the way, is the word uh, nephesh, which means life. It's the same word in Genesis 1.20, where it says, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life. It's that same word, nephesh. So that's what God does. He restores our soul, our very life. When our life is in danger, he can restore it. And that word restore means to turn back, to turn away. The ancient Hebrew lexicon of the Bible says it's a turning back away from someone or something. Brown Drivers Briggs defines it as to turn back from dying. Genesis 27, now therefore restore the man, Abraham, his wife, for he is a prophet. Abraham and Sarah had gone into Egypt, and Abraham was afraid that they would kill him because his wife, Sarah, was very beautiful, and he was afraid that they would kill him in order to take his wife, Um, Pharaoh, because Pharaoh really thought she was pretty hot. So 
Abraham was afraid of that. So he said, uh, well, she's my sister. Therefore, it would be okay if Pharaoh took Sarah. But then it came, uh, later information came to Pharaoh that Sarah was, in fact, Abraham's wife. And he kind of freaked out and said, oh, my God, why'd you do that? Now I'm going to have all kinds of trouble. So uh, from from the gods, because in the uh, ancient Near East, you just didn't do that. You didn't take a man's wife. So it says, therefore, that Pharaoh, now, therefore, restore the man his wife. So that's what that word restore means. It means something was taken away and now it's given back. Translated return 250 times, as a matter of fact. So what Psalms 23 is saying is that Yahweh gives us back our life when it's in danger of being taken away. And that can be any degree. I mean, even, you know, a small amount of depression, that could be considered as taking away your life because it does. It, it It's just kind of death by a thousand cuts kind of thing. So, but Yahweh, our shepherd, will come along and he can restore that for us. He can give us back our life. And it's important to remember that when we do get cast down, that if we do uh, feel a little bummed out or a little bit of depression or whatever, don't castigate yourself. Don't think that Jesus gets mad at you for that. He doesn't. Far from that. Would you get mad at a sheep because she got cast down like that? You saw that poor little thing. Was that something that you'd want to get mad at? Of course not. And magnify that feeling like about a million times. And that's how Jesus feels about us. When we get cast down, if, if we forget just for a moment that, and we get overwhelmed by the world situation, we take our eyes off of him for a little bit. He doesn't get mad. He just sits there and waits for us. And, and he, he sits on the edge of his seat waiting for us to get back to looking at him. So he's ready for us. To, he's ready to help us at any any time. We are, to him, we're his, the biggest concern for him. And he has compassion for us. Remember how he wept over Jerusalem. He saw he, what they were about to face. And despite what they were going to do to him very soon, and what they had done for the last 4,000 years, well, 2,000 years, he wept over them because he felt so bad for them. He wanted to return them to life. So that's our shepherd's desire. That's his will. That's why he lives. And the Jewish study Bible translates that phrase in Psalm 23, three, uh, he renews my life. He renews my life. Sometimes it gets a little threatened, but he'll renew it. Rotherham's emphasized Bible says, my life he so if you like old English, you still got it with his Bible. He restoreth my life, he restoreth. In Psalm 56, 13, it says, For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from failing, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? If God is willing to deliver us from death, our soul, and in fact, born-again Christians, he has done that. We know that. So Will he not deliver my feet from falling? He'll help you out. He won't let you fall as long as you walk with him. And, and that's what he wants. He wants you to walk with him in the light of the living. He delivered your soul. He snatched it away from death. Now we're getting to Rachel and Jacob, uh, because Jacob, if you recall, married Rachel and father-in-law Laban tricked him a few times. And Jacob basically ended up saying, well, Let's do this stick thing here, and if if your cattle turn spotted, they're all mine. 
bottom line is Jacob ended up getting all of Laban's cattle. And of course, Laban complained about that. And Rachel asked him about it. And that's when he said, God has taken away the cattle of your father. So that's that word snatched away. And that was that's pretty, I think, because that's how God snatches our life away from death. And again, death can be, it's it's in degrees. It's Sometimes you feel like, geez, I wish I would die. Little, But even little things, it's just, bottom line is, it takes your mind away from God, and it's a carnal mind. And if you recall, the carnal mind leads to death. So it's, this doesn't have to be, you know, actual death, like, you know, you get in a car wreck or something like that. He delivers you from even the little things. Whatever, as soon as you go back to God, he's right there to snatch you away from whatever is bothering you, from whatever little irritation there is. He'll he'll just take care of you because that's his shepherd. He sees you on your back, he'll flip you over in no time, and you'll be right back to normal. Your soul will be restored. Your life will be restored. And uh, I might mention, too, that it's not always a crisis that can get you cast down. It can be when things are going really well. You, you become dependent upon your job because it's going so well or your money. You don't have to worry about money anymore. So you think you got it made. What's even worse than that and more insidious, I think, is that when you think you've arrived with your walk in God, that you're walking perfectly, that's probably the biggest mistake that I think any Christian could make. And I know that by experience because I've done it over and over and over again. And one day I'll learn, if not before, <laughs> certainly when he comes back, but you just got to be really careful to think that you got to you have to stay humble because once you start thinking that you've arrived now where's your mind it's on you and how great you are you tend to forget the shepherd because you can get flipped on your back and cast down in an instant life can just do that to you so that's probably one of the worst ways to get cast down to have your soul be put in trouble when things are going really well don't fall for that. In Revelations 3.17, it says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have no and have need of nothing, and knowing not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So they thought, we got I'm rich, I have my goods, I need nothing. But what they didn't know is that they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's quite a bit different than being rich, increased in goods, and having need of nothing. That's kind of like you need everything. Bottom line is, they didn't know what they were talking about. That's that's what that amounts to. It's like they were like the clouds without water that were blown around. That's in Jude. They're just clouds full of water that just get blown around. Again, they don't know what they're talking about. They think they got it made, but far from it. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says... Plain as day. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So once you start thinking, oh, I've arrived. I'm so great. Uh, I, you know, I, I know the Bible and, and I talk to so many people about God and I've br- brought so many people to God and, and this kind of thing. And I'm, I'm so spiritual. That's when you want to, bam, take heed because you will fall. That's what it says right there. I'm not making it up. That's what God says. So I guess the most important thing to keep in mind is in Philippians 4.13, where it says, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. You see, it's not because of your, your uh, uh, somehow 
ability to witness to people that you can bring so many people, you bring thousands of people to Christ. It's not you. It's Christ that does that. You have to always remember that. Whatever good you can do for God, it's through Christ, because in and of ourselves, we have nothing. With Christ, we have everything. That's the opposite of Revelations 3.17. So I can do all things through Christ, our shepherd. He's the one that can help us out. Galatians 2.13 says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. That's how we started out. We started out dead. And it was his, it was his work. It was the work of Jesus Christ, the, 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 the torture and the pain and the suffering and the cross that Evelyn mentioned in her prophecy. That's what quickens us together with with Christ. It's his work, not our own. And this applies to us much more than to David. Remember, David wasn't even born again. So he restores our soul. He restores our life. That's the first part of Psalm 23.3. Then it goes on to say that he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Remember in verse 23.2, it said, he leadeth me beside the still waters. So he leads us in still waters, the paths of righteousness. You know, a lot of times, well, all the time in scriptures, if you read, there's an awful lot of repetition. Uh, In fact, really the whole Bible, the message probably could have been written in one chapter. But so much of the Bible is just repetition. Same thing over and over and over, but and yet in different ways. And if particularly at Psalms, if you look at it, there's... It repeats itself so many times, and that's significant. That was the way Hebrews wrote poetry. We write poetry based on sound. Their poetry was based on idea. And so, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. He leadeth me beside the still waters. So there's a connection there between still waters and the paths of righteousness. They're both the right place to be, basically, where the still waters, where the... The sheep would have good water to drink, not polluted water. That's where the shepherd would lead him. And he would also lead him on the paths of righteousness. And remember, sheep can't get along just anywhere. They might think there's a better source of food somewhere else. They have no reason to that. A good shepherd would have planned all that out in advance, but they think they know more. But don't we do that sometimes? We think we know more than our shepherd. So they get distracted, basically. And they think, oh, there's better food over here. So they kind of wander off. They get off the path. They go where the shepherd didn't, it did not lead them. So we have to remember that he leads us. We have to go where he tells us to go. The other problem with sheep is that they'll sometimes keep going down the same path if left on their own, if they don't have a good shepherd. Remember the, the hireling that didn't care about him. If the, in that case, the sheep might just keep going down the same old path over and over. And what happens with that is that it wears a gullies in the dirt, little little depression in the dirt. And of course, as they march along this every day after day after day, this builds up and it becomes infected with different diseases and parasites. So the sheep will do that. They just don't know any better if left on their own with the with the bad shepherd. So and and they'll also They'll keep going to the same place and they'll just graze everything right down to the dirt. And even sometimes they'll even start gnawing under the dirt and get to the roots. Well, there's no nourishment there and that's not going to do them any good. But that's what they'll do. That's And sometimes we do that. 
Sometimes we just think, oh, I know the best way to go. (laughs) We forget our shepherd. But like sheep have to be led to new pastures constantly, and they have to be rotated. The pastures have to be rotated, and it requires a lot of planning. Usually a really good shepherd will only let his sheep graze at a certain place for maybe a week, maybe two weeks, but no more than that. Then they have to plan ahead as to where's the next place they're going to take them. And that's what our shepherd does for us. He does. We don't stagnate in the same old spot. We move along. And even though we don't want to, sometimes we would rather just go in the rut we're in <laughs> with all the, the disease and parasites. Uh, he wants us to move along. And sometimes he'll even take us places where we not necessarily want to go. But once we get there and we see the new pastures, well, we, we understand that the love our shepherd, why he did all that. It takes a lot of work for him to do that, a lot of planning. And he has to go ahead to all these places and make sure there, there's no dangers there. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God made a path for each and every one of us, very special path, one for each individual that he thought out in advance. And he leads us, he guides us. Psalm 77.20 says, Thou ledest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So he led them, he leads us, and he has that plan. He plans ahead for what we got to do. And he knew when he was leading Israel, he knew exactly where they were going. He had it all planned out. And he had taken them to a land of milk and honey, and he led them there. They had to follow. Many times they didn't. They They rebelled many times. But the good shepherd, again, does not get mad at them. He just restores their life and brings them back to logic and reason and say, "Uh, hey, guys, listen up. You're going the wrong way. I got a plan. Let's uh, let me, you know, let, let me carry it through with you guys. In Psalm 78, uh, in, fi- in verses 52 and 53, it says, but God made his own people to go forth like sheep and he guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Okay. Remember I said a lot of repetition, but it's different ways, different situations. So it's they're all slightly different. And you look for those differences and they tell the whole story in themselves. They really make it clear that, yeah, God guides us like sheep. He guides us through the wilderness. And the wilderness, remember, was a very foreboding place. And yet they were able to relax because God took him through there. It was their shepherd that caused them to relax. We'll see that in a second. Verse 53, it said, he led them on safely. See, see the repetition there, but slightly different ways. Look for that in the Psalms. Look for this, the similarities. Look for the differences. It'll really illuminate the truths that they that they contain. Anyway, he led them on safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. There's the difference right there. Those that followed Yahweh, they were safely. He led them on safely. The ones that were against Yahweh, Eh, they had some problems. Namely, they all drowned. But they were safe. And the word safely is that word, uh, Hebrew word, betach. And it means a place of refuge, safety, the fact and the feeling. So not only are you safe, but you actually feel safe. And that's what God did to Israel. Why they were in the wilderness, a place of great danger. And yet they felt safe. 
that's pretty neat uh, because the elements were pretty bad. And plus, they also believed that that's where all the demons lived out there. And they were terribly afraid of those, as they should have been. And so, but they felt safe with Yahweh. They had no problems being there just because he was their shepherd. He was leading them. And as we go through life, yeah, we face a lot of things. It's a spirit. There's a whole spiritual world in addition to this world that we see with our eyes. And this spiritual world is filled with all kinds of spirits, good and bad spirits. Luckily, for every bad spirit, there's two good spirits. So we got to keep that in mind. But there are the bad spirits, and they want to take our life. But if we stay on the right path with our shepherd, we don't have to worry about it. We can feel safe no matter what. doesn't matter about all those uh, spirits that would, would like to really take our life. We can just walk through that and not have any concern for it because we know our shepherd is there protecting us at all times. In Judges, Dan was looking for land to, to live in. Uh, they weren't able to conquer the, I, I believe it was the Philistines, which is their original inheritance. They weren't able to conquer it, so they had to go find some other place. And they were looking around, and they sent five people to go out and spy, spy the land. And these guys came back and said, Then the five men departed and came to uh, Laish and saw the people that were there in how they dwelt careless. That's that word, betach. Uh, place of refuge. They dwelt careless after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. That's also the word detached, secure. It's it's a different form of the word, but it's basically the same uh, Hebrew word. So they were they were careless. They were quiet. They were secure. And the word quiet is the same word used in Joshua after they had gone into the promised land and they conquered everybody. It said. They, the land rested from war. That's the word quiet. So there was no conflict, no worries, no anxieties. And so that's how these five men that went to see these guys uh, in Laish, that's what they thought of them. Uh, that, that, wow, these guys are like phew, just taking a really taking life real easy. No conflict, no worries, no anxieties. And so that's how we can dwell with our shepherd with that same way. Like we got, you know, He'll take care of whatever problem that arises. But remember, he leads us. So that means we have to follow. We can't get off the path. We always got to keep our eyes on the shepherd. And that's in 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, casting all your care, your anxieties upon him, for he careth for you. See, he careth for us. We're his interest. We're his main interest. We're his main concern. That's kind of all he thinks about all day is, oh, man, you know, uh, here's here's one of my sheep. I'm just keeping my eye totally on him 24-7, making sure that everything's okay. And the least problem there is, I'm right there to take care of it for him. So uh, that's at how his concern is. And I thought it was kind of neat because Webster's defined the, or the example they gave in for how that word is used in his dictionary. It says, a good prince concerns himself in the happiness of his subjects. Well, let's translate that to a good shepherd concerns himself in the happiness of his sheep. A good shepherd concerns himself in the happiness of his sheep. Well, I remember last Sunday, Franco mentioned happiness. We talked a lot about happiness. And happiness doesn't come from pursuing a a job or money or some kind of 
anything or a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or anything like that. That's not where our happiness comes from. It comes from following the shepherd. Happiness is not a goal. It's a result. And when we follow our shepherd, then um, we will experience happiness. Why? Because a good shepherd concerns himself in the happiness of his sheep. So if Jesus's main concern is our happiness, then as long as we follow him, we got it made. Okay. So that's pretty neat. Um, he leads us in, in paths. He leads us in the paths. I think of this path as like a railroad track. And as long as the train stays on the track and that track goes one, one place, I mean, it can't get off of it. If you do get off of it, that's called a train wreck. And that's not very good. So he leads us down this path. It's a very specific path. And remember, like it said in Ephesians, each and every one of us has our own path. But he guides us down that path. And in Psalm 17, 5, it says, Hold up my doings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. You see, footst- every footstep, he's there to look. He's there watching us, making sure that we don't slip. He holds us up. He sustains us. He, uh, it's the Hebrew word, Tomach, and it, figuratively, it means to help, to follow close. Well, our shepherd does follow us close. He looks at every single footstep we take through life, and he's deeply concerned about our happiness. <laughs> you see, he wants us to take the right path. He wants us to live that abundant life, more than abundant life. So he keeps a close eye on us. He's concerned about us. How close is he? Well, what does it say in Colossians? He's in us. It's Christ is in us. You can't get any closer than that. And remember, in Luke 12, it says that very number of hairs on our head, he knows. So he knows way more about us than we know about ourselves. So it really behooves us to follow him and not get off the beaten path, to follow uh, to, to, to go where he wants us to go, no matter what we think that might be. As I've said, sometimes that might be somewhere, oh, God, I don't know if I want to go there. Well, go. <laughs> Just go. Don't question it. Keep your eyes on him. Don't use your own logic, your own reason, because if you follow him, it's going to be a much better outcome all the time. He's been ahead. He scouted out the area, so he knows what lies ahead. We don't. So, yeah, that we slip not. Uh, the Hebrew literally means be not moved. So we're solid. As long, we're, he's the rock and we're on him. We're built on that rock. It's not moved. No matter what that old devil might want to do to us, he can't do it. We have the authority to tell him to get lost and don't come back. So we can't be moved as long as we're walking with our shepherd. The REV says we're not shaken. So that in, it, he puts it in the past tense, but he holds up our goings. He, he follows us every footstep, and he makes sure that we don't slip. So that's pretty neat. We don't have to worry about things as long as we walk with our shepherd. And we don't have to try to figure out every little detail of our life. We just, when we get in some kind of trouble, our very first thought should be, what should I do, God? Not Okay, let me see now. This is the problem. If I do this, this, and that. yeah, you know, that seldom works. That seldom works. But when you walk with God, He will tell you what to do. And we walk down the paths of righteousness. That's where or He leads us down the paths, the tracks 
of righteousness. Now, that word righteous just means the right, the natural, the moral or legal, the correct way. Interestingly enough, Brown Rivers Briggs says abstractly it means equity. So everybody talks about equity as though it's, you know, if you go to college to learn about it or something. Well, the Bible talks about equity. That's the true equity. And that's the path that God leads us down. So don't ever let anybody say that you're not equitable because you're about as equitable as equitable can be. It's as you're walking down the paths of righteousness, you're being led by Jesus, our shepherd. So Isaiah 53, 6, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. See, sometimes we get off the path. We have turned everyone to his own way. That happens sometimes. But we have to keep in mind that we can always go back. Remember, Jesus doesn't get mad at us when we do that. He's right there. Oh, no, come back, come back, please. Now, don't wait. Don't go any farther. He's always there. Remember, every footstep he watches. So the minute we take one wrong step, he's there to correct it and to bring us back, to restore our soul. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So again, follow your shepherd. Learn where he wants you to go and follow him. It, it might not seem the right way to you. Again, you might not want to go that way. You think, oh, no, this way looks a lot better. This seems right to me. Well, don't fall for it because, as it says, the end of uh, those ways lead to death. Remember, the carnal mind leads to death. The spiritual mind leads to life. So, by the way, that verse, uh, Psalm fourteen twelve, is repeated word for word in Proverbs 16, uh, 25. So there's a reason God did that, and there's some kind of symmetry there. What's in between those two verses tells a real story in itself. So oftentimes that'll do that. But yeah, it's repeated word for word. And I even checked the Hebrew. It, it, it is the same way. And I don't know Hebrew, I just, but I can look at the little symbols, put them together right on top of each other. And yeah, they're word for word, the exact same verse. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. So God wanted us to know that. He wanted us to be aware that just because you think something's right, eh, maybe not. So you better listen to me. You better follow me. Follow the right path, the path of righteousness. Because here's the thing. I mentioned all these, you know, there's the spiritual world, and it's very real. It's more real than this. In fact, in the ancient Near East, it's kind of interesting and remember, that's the cultural context in which the Bible was written. When they read this, they would they didn't even make any particular difference between a natural and a spiritual world. It was all the same to them. So that's the mindset they read it with. So they knew there were they knew there was evil out there, and they knew there was good, and and and, and that just like things happen in life, there was a real parallel. Whatever happened in the spiritual world was happening in the physical world. When they got sick or when their crops started to fail or their animals started to die, they knew there was something up in the spiritual world. And again, they didn't even make that distinction. So to even say to them, spiritual world and a natural world, they wouldn't they wouldn't understand that. It was all the same to them. But bottom line is, they knew that uh, there was constant danger and that they always had to keep their mind on their God. Now, most of them kept it on the wrong God who played games with them. And, you know, every now would help them out. But for the most part, it never turned out good. But for Yahweh, 
when Israel, for example, as long as they kept their minds on Yahweh, they didn't have to worry about what was going on in that, in that spiritual world, all the bad things. They knew that things would work out because they knew that their God was by far the, the most powerful of all the spirits. In fact, he created the spirits. So anyway, Psalm 140, verse 5, it says, The proud have laid a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set gins for me, Salah. And they, I don't guess they really know exactly what Salah means. I think they think it means uh, ponder this, think about it, pause and think. But that sounds good. In any case, the proud have laid snares for me. Uh, they, they, they've spread a net by the wayside and cords. Well, the way I see this is you're walking down the path that the shepherd's leading you. And then you look off out in the distance off to your right or left or something, you see something that's, oh, shiny. Ah, wow, what is that? So you kind of want to wander out there. But what you don't know is that that field is full of poison oak, bear traps, deadfall traps, trip wires. So you go out there and, oh, my gosh, you're going to get into all kinds of troubles. They have snares, cords, net by the wayside, gins. You see, that's what's out there. The devil is constantly seeking, roaming around, seeking whom he may, he may devour. And just like Jesus watches you 24-7, so does that old devil. He's just waiting for you to get off the path and for you to get caught in one of his, his, his snares or his cords, end up with a good case of poison oak or your ankle stuck in a bear trap or something. So you don't want that to happen uh, because all those things lead to the destruction that the hireling could care less about what happens to you. And that was, remember, that was from John 10, 10, uh, 10, 11, where Jesus is the good shepherd, the hireling, the one that doesn't care. That's what's going to happen. If you get your foot caught in a bear trap, eh, he could, he, he'll just go get another sheep. He doesn't care. So, but your shepherd's not like that. Not at all. He'll not only come and get you out of the bear trap, but he'll heal it like it never happened. John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said unto him, talking about Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, there's the path right there. Jesus Christ is the path. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. The way is the truth, and that is the life. That's the path we follow through Jesus Christ. Other way. Otherwise, you're going to get followed up. In John 16, 13, it says, How be it when he the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So that spirit, that's our truth, that's our shepherd. He leads us in the right path. When you get in trouble, when you get cast down, say, Lord, what should I do? And he will guide you. That's what it says. That's either true or it's not true. I think it's true, and I know you all do too. But that's your Holy Spirit. That's the gift of Holy Spirit. That's the Christ in you, the one that's watching over every step you take. Just ask, what should I do? And he'll tell you. Which path should I follow? He'll tell you. Finally, the last phrase in that is that he, he leads us down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the, the name in, in the ancient Near East, somebody's name was very, very important. Not so much like we think of it today. We name children just because we think it sounds good or something. But 
for the ancient Near East, a name was very, very important. Uh, a parent would ex- when a parent would name someone, they would expect or at least hope that a child would live up to that name. And that's why there's so many names with Yah or El in them, because that was God. And those that, that those are the words for God or indicated God. And so people expected their child to have power and, and be a good person and so forth. Well, a good shepherd is very concerned with his or her reputation. And so is Yahweh. In Proverbs 22, it says, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. So a name and favor amongst people meant more than riches, more than gold to someone from the ancient Near East. And they were very concerned about what people thought of them. We tend to think of ourselves in a certain way, and we don't care what other people think for the most part. So I think I'm a good guy. Well, everybody in all my neighbors think I'm an awful guy, but I don't get the hint. And I just keep going on being an awful guy. But I think I'm a good guy. That's not how it was in the ancient Near East. And even today in many parts of the world, uh, you think of yourself what other people think of you. If they think you're a rat or something, you're a bad guy, then you think, okay, why are they thinking that? Maybe I better do something. Now, Take that with a grain of salt, of course. You got to take that within limits. But um, the principle is there that they were very concerned about their name. Now, God's name is Yahweh. He said that many, he said that. And that's what he wanted to be called. And that, of course, means I am what I am or I will be what I, what I will be. It means basically that it shows his resourcefulness to fulfill his plan of, of, of redemption. And it shows his resourcefulness to watch our steps and to make sure we go the right way and to plan the right way for us like the chef would do for his sheep. So um, it's it's used in relation with God and his covenant and his personal relationship with people. So his name Yahweh was very, very important to him. It says God guides us for his name's sake. That's Psalm 23, 3. He forgives us for his name's sake. That's 25, 11. He leads us for his name's sake. Same as guide, the Repetition there, 31.3. He helps us for his name's sake. That's 79.9. He delivers us from sin for his name's sake. Same verse, 79.9. He deals with us out of his goodness for his name's sake. 109.21. And finally, he makes us alive for his name's sake. 143.11. So again, the repetition there, for his name's sake. All those things he does for his name's sake. Now, that's all he can do. His name is Yahweh. He will provide. He'll show his resourcefulness. Therefore, that's all he can do. That's why he deals with us in in all these good ways. He guides us. He forgives us. He helps us. He delivers. That's just what he does. That's his nature. So it's important to know that our status with God, what he does, is nothing to do with our own doing. Jeremiah 47 says, though our iniquities testify against us, that's what we do. We do iniquities that testify against us, but act for your namesake, Yahweh, for our apostasies are many. We have sinned against you. But despite what we did, just because God is all those things, that's what he more or less, has to do. So for his name's sake, that's why he leads us down the paths of righteousness. 
God has restored our life. He's restored our soul. We know that we have passed from death unto life. That's 1 John 3, 14. So God has restored our life. He leads us in the right path. We already saw some of this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That would be us. We're born again of his seed. So we are led by the Spirit of God. We can be, but we just got to follow. And it also says that we are his workmanship, Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's Ephesians 2.10. We already saw that. So that's how he leads us in the right path. He has that path for us. All we have to do is follow. And he does it for his name's sake. In uh, Ephesians 1, 5, and 6, it says, having predestinated us, or predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, to the praise of the glory of his grace, for his name's sake. Again, that's all God really can do based upon his name. So we are to the praise of the glory of his grace, what he did. Nothing to do with us. And finally, in Ephesians 1.12, it said, we should, it better translated, we would be to the praise of his glory. And that's in the context of the sacred seat. So he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. And he did that all to the praise of his glory. So it's for his name. It's not anything with us. So he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So that's Psalms 23.3. And there's <laughs> it's a, 16 words, but man, oh, man, I just barely scratched the surface on it, I think. Um, and I hope I haven't gone too long, but it's just a wonderful verse. And again, I think what what uh, William Nichols said, the world could spare many a large book better than this sunny little psalm. I don't think truer words could be spoken. So, Father, we thank you for being our shepherd, for guiding us and leading us and making sure that we stay on the right path. And that you're always there when we get off. You're always there to pick us up. And no matter what happens to us, you're there just waiting to restore our soul, to bring us back to life. Just beyond our comprehension, Father. But we'll accept it, we take it, and we love you for it. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.